Welcome, glad you're here. My name's Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. Um, really glad that you're here today. A couple of quick things before I share a little wisdom I've learned um, is that we have baptisms coming up in just a few weeks, just two weeks. Um, we're going to be worship together. We're going to get to hear from those uh, getting baptized. And then we're going to go just a few blocks down the street to Stan's pool. And we're going to baptize some people in the pool. I think right now we have five people, which is really exciting. Um, and if you're interested in getting baptized, I'd love to talk to you about that. Even if you're just wondering, I don't know if I'm supposed to or how that works. We'd love to talk to you um, about that. We're excited. That'll be a really great celebration um, all together uh, that day. I'm really, really excited for that um, coming up. Um, I, this is a picture of my wife, who is a mother. Um, and I, I just snapped this yesterday, so I was so excited. It was one of those things where you take an old picture and then you try to recreate it. This is about as close as we got. We got a new hammock at our house, and yesterday was the right day to try it out. Uh, anyone else try out a hammock yesterday? It was magical in the sun. Um, and I have many women in my life who I've learned lots from. Uh, my mom has taught me uh, how to love people well. She's a person I feel like uh, taught me how to continue to pursue people and see value in all people. She did that in her work and in, in our family and with friends. She always seemed to see like the, that thing in someone that maybe other people were missing. My wife, um, getting to see her be a mom, but just in my own life has really taught me a lot about the wisdom there is in faithfulness. And not just as a wife, but just as a person, I think in a lot of people's lives. She's taught me how to move towards people and not away from people. It's actually something we're going to look at today in our passage, what, what the true wisdom looks like. It really looks like moving towards people and not away. I think at times we feel like we want to move away, um, even find ways to serve people, find joy in serving people. If you know my wife, Kelly, who just shared announcements of something. Um, and many of you in the room are people who have who've shared those same things. Wisdom, often, I think when I first hear the word wisdom, I think, uh, like smarts, or like they, um, I think of like those phrases that you hear, like you hang out with someone and they give you a, a phrase and you go like, oh, wow, that changes everything. But I think for me often when I really get into it, I think what's helped me in my life, it's really been just real basic, small things. So today we're going to look a little bit into that. What does that look like? We're going to hear this word uh, wise today, what it looks like to be wise and unwise uh, and we're going to think a little bit about what does Scripture have to say about wisdom, and why is it important, and what, what does it look like to actually pursue wisdom? I think we're told some different ways, and we're going to look into that. So we've been in a book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, you want to crack it open with us or look on a phone. Uh, most of the Scripture will be on the screen today if you just want to follow along. And we are already in chapter 5 of Ephesians. We're getting towards the end. We just have a few weeks left. And Ephesians has shown us and told us over and over about the goodness of our God who rescued us from death, from wrath, from destruction, and brought us into life, and a really good life, and a family in him. And so now we're to the point in Ephesians, we're already in chapter 5, and he has shown us a little bit, what does it look like to live that out, or, or what, what, does that, what does that mean to kind of overflow that reality of you being a uh, uh, a child of God, loved by God, rescued by God, saved by God. What does that look like? Uh, and, and how do we live a changed life in that? So we're going to look here. We're going to start at uh, chapter 5, verse 15 is our passage for today. And we're just going to hop right in there. So if you're 
Uh, following along, it'll be on the screen. Otherwise, follow along with your own Bible. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, not, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This phrase, um, be careful how you walk, is actually, we've seen this a lot in Ephesians. This seems to be a theme he's carried through, this uh, idea of how we walk. If we're walking with the Lord, if we're not walking with the Lord, and actually what does it look like to take steps to continue moving throughout our day um, as we're a changed person and then we move out into our life, right? Every single day we get up, we move into our life, different relationships and different activities. What does it look like then to walk in the Lord and those things. And so he continues the same phrase. Look how we walk and he says, let's do it wisely and not unwisely. And again, actually doubles down on that in 17. He says, do not be foolish, which isn't a passage we necessarily need to be told, right? I don't don't know many people who are like, I really want to be foolish. And then you have to say, oh, no, 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 we shouldn't be foolish. Oh, thanks for the tip about not being foolish. He's going to actually go on, I think, to help us maybe understand what that looks like. This actually, this section in Ephesians started with a similar thing. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children walk in love. In my Bible, in the, in the NIV translation, actually the title of that section, I think, is walk in love for this whole section of Ephesians 5. And last week, Aaron was able to share with us what that looks like, the, the importance of remembering that we're children of God and then if we are children of God, we can walk in love as Christ loved us and, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're continuing the same discussion. What does it look like to walk in love? That means to walk in wisdom and not foolishness. I want to be wise. I don't want to be foolish. I spend actually a fair amount of my time trying to figure out how do I be wise, or at least how do I look wise <laughs> Uh, not look like a foolish one. Because a life of wisdom we have experienced, or at least we guess and look ahead and think, yeah, it probably brings joy and safety. Wisdom brings relationships, healthy relationships. It can bring prosperity. And maybe, honestly, sometimes wanting wisdom is just because I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to look like at least the most foolish in the room. You ever had that experience where you maybe uh, embellish or maybe you like share something that maybe isn't so true. <laughs> Is that the nice way to say you lie? Um, in a conversation because you want to look like you're wise. This happens sometimes when you hang out with middle school people. Um, they know everything and so they let you know that <laughs> whatever you share, they just say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And you're like, there's no way you, there's no way you knew that. <laughs> I may, in my house, say things that are untrue just so that I can catch them, hypothetically, if they're <laughs> search for wisdom. Oh, that's, that's actually not true. You don't know that because it's not a thing. <laughs> I think we, we want to know, right? We want to know. And often I think our searching for wisdom is just knowing more or knowing the right thing at the right time, getting the best tips or tricks about life, We live in a time where I can look up anything I need to on YouTube of how to do something. I can find out any, literally, we we refinished our old house, we finished the basement. It was just an unfinished 100-year-old basement. And most of that was done because me laying on a concrete floor watching YouTube videos 
under something or me with a bunch of wire trying to figure out how to wire outlets. In fact, I remember um, cutting, I'll never forget this, because I watched a video of a guy explained how he makes sure all the wires are not live anymore so I could cut them and rewire my basement. And I didn't know this, but you don't have to like know anything to actually post stuff on YouTube. You can just be like a guy who's trying to get clicks to make money. And so he was like, you just do this and this, and then there's no way you can get shocked. And I found out you can get shocked. And I cut a wire and it like blew the thing out of my hands and it scared me to death. Uh, and then I watched a different video and the guy was like, don't ever do this thing that I learned in the other video. And I'm like, how could he say that? He said he was like a hand, his title is like Handyman Joe or whatever his name was. And I found out, oh, he doesn't have to have any credentials for that. He just can post a video. <laughs> in fact, at the end of his video, the part I didn't watch says, you know, like he's not responsible for any <laughs> electrocution that happens. I, but I spent time watching that. I thought this guy is going to give me information and it's going to change me. So now I can be an electrician. I remember thinking like, I'm pretty much an electrician. What do those guys even do? And then I realized, oh, they like stay alive when they're doing <laughs> electricity. Now, do you remember this? this? When I think of this, when I think like, I just need to know, if we just know, everything will be okay, I think of this. Everyone know this little image? The more you know, these PSAs. Oh, PSAs are fantastic. They're these great little kind of mini commercials that were supposed to share something helpful. Something maybe that was really important at that time, or oftentimes they're connected to kids. Oftentimes they're just given at the end of a show to say like, hey, here's something you should know. And then they have this cool little boo do do the more you know, and you go like, oh, now we know that. In fact, I, I grabbed a few of my favorite PSAs. A few of these might not be actually real, uh, but my ultimate favorite as a kid is at the end. So here's just a minute, 60 seconds here, some of my favorite PSAs. Are we good? It's never funny to smush wedding cake in a bride's face. It ruins her makeup for the rest of the night. And that photographer cost a lot of money. <laughs> after a well-balanced meal, or for a well-deserved snack after school, you might want to grab a handful of jelly beans. Don't eat the black jelly beans. They taste disgusting. It's just my opinion, but it's true. Did you know that the human thumb is formed by 15 interchangeable joints? Wrong. Don't believe everything that people on television tell you, because some of them don't know what they're talking about. That is wisdom. Look, the storm knocked down that big wire. Hey, let's jump our bikes over it. Now, we better move it off the road. No, you better leave that power line right where it is. There's enough electricity there to fry an elephant. We didn't think it was dangerous. You'd have found out too late. Remember, never play around electrical wires or you could be playing with fire. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Those are, I can't get enough. There's so many things about that PSA that I don't understand. Was that a big problem with kids? That came from like 1987. Apparently kids then were just roaming the streets, jumping over power lines. Uh, if any of you watched G.I. Joe, for me that was a, pretty, a staple as a child. At the end of a lot of episodes, they have these 30-second PSAs where uh, kids would be doing something and then a G.I. Joe would show up and say, hey, that's not good, don't do that. And then they'd say, knowing's half the battle. I remember that phrase being used all the time, knowing is half the battle. Not really knowing 
what the other part of the battle was. If it was doing that or... I, I looked this up because it like brought back all these memories. There's many, many of these. Um, some of the important topics they tackled in order to it, uh, give wisdom to our young people in 1985 to 89 uh, was how to tread water properly. Uh, one called Do Not Catch on Fire. That one told kids to not catch on fire, <laughs> if you're wondering. Uh, one of them uh, encouraged kids to get their eyes tested. That was actually spot endorsed by, by the like National Optometrist Society. Apparently you could pay G.I. Joe and they would also just do them for you. There was one on, it was the importance of putting reflectors on your bike, an important topic at the time. Uh, one called don't judge people until you give them a chance, but then I think you're allowed to judge them after you've met them. One called listen to yourself, and one of my favorites, one was just called uh, eat the right foods. That's it, eat the right foods. So apparently they're eating junk food. I, the, I, I love these, they're just perfect. And actually the history of these is also interesting. Um, at the time, people were really worried about what kids were watching and that it was just entertainment and it wasn't uh, like educational. It was really important. In fact, there was actually been laws passed in places where they, they were allowed in certain places to like not have these. You could cancel these on your, on your uh, station if the shows were just purely educational. In fact, these shows like He-Man and G.I. Joe, they're actually created just like as giant commercials so kids would buy the action figures. So people were concerned. And so in order to be classified as educational, you had to prove that you like taught kids something. And so G.I. Joe added these at the end of their commercials and then they were considered educational children's programming. So you just saw, you just were educated. You don't have to go to school this week. If you're a kid, this did it for you. I think how interesting, we, we even have this like desire in us, not just for us, but even for the little people around us to say we want them to learn and grow, which is good. We want them to have wisdom. Um, and to the point of like, well, the show has to have some kind of merit. Now, if that was the rule now, there'd not be as many shows. Um, I think it's interesting. There's something about imparting that wisdom, searching for that knowledge. And I love the phrase, knowing is half the battle. I think I for sure believe if I think wisdom, I think I just got to know more, which could just mean listening to more podcasts, reading something else, finding the right person to get the right information. And I can figure it out. I can make the right choices and, and then everything will be okay. And that maybe even better than okay. And so also as I think through wisdom, I think that, so what does scripture have to say about wisdom? I think first, my first thought is going to a book of wisdom in scripture. We have a genre in scripture of wisdom literature. And I think of Proverbs. Proverbs was a book that I was first introduced to when I was a kid. And I just knew of Proverbs because it had like those quick sayings. And I remember uh, if, if you had to memorize scripture for something, Proverbs was good because it usually was really short. And you could say like, okay, I could memorize a proverb because it's quick and it kind of makes sense. And I don't have to remember, memorize one of those long passages. Proverbs is a book that we go to. You might know some of these passages in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book seems to be telling us, here's what wisdom looks like. Here's what it looks like to not be a fool. 9.10 is similar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's this fear of the Lord. There's this um, fear for, for God that, that draws us into wisdom. Proverbs 4 says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. I love this one. I love it. It's like, you want wisdom? Get it. Okay. <laughs> 
And these are the ones that I remember, though. I, I don't actually remember that part. I, when I think of Proverbs, I think of Proverbs, right? Proverbs even not in the book of, of in Scripture, but just in life. People say Proverbs, like, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That's great. I don't know if that always happens. Proverbs 28, those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but those who confess and renounce them find mercy. Charm is, is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. These are great, right? And we could go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's start with the first one. I have kids and if I, I try to start them off right, uh, then even when they get old, they will not turn from it. It's hard because I know people who have, Older kids, I think they started them off right. They seem to have turned from it. So then is the, is the proverb just a lie? Is it not right? Or those who conceal their sins do not prosper. I feel like every day if I read the news, it seems someone who's been concealing their sin is prospering. Or, or this charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. I, I would, yeah, I think we should praise women who fear the Lord. But I think a lot of women are getting praised too for Maybe just beauty. So it has this, like, I don't know totally what to do with this. Is this wisdom just reading this and going, just do that? Get wisdom. Is, is that the purpose of this book? It feels like a lot around us. It says that if you just follow this thing and do this thing, then you'll have wisdom. Well, this is my hope today is we can kind of look at this passage. We'll unpack what maybe what does it look like to seek wisdom? Is it just us gaining some knowledge and applying it, or is there maybe something more to it? So I actually called my friend Beth, who was a hopester, who's here at our church, because I know Beth loves wisdom, and she loves the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you know anyone who loves the book of Proverbs. It's Beth, if you need to know. Uh, like some who, like, gets, like, when they start talking about Proverbs, they get, like, excited. I don't know many people who get excited about any book of the Bible, uh, but she gets very excited. And so this week I had the opportunity to drive down uh, to Illinois. I met with some other uh, church planters and this cohort I'm in. And on the drive, I was like, I should call Beth and see what she has to say. Not only does she love wisdom literature and book of Proverbs, she also is very wise. So I thought, oh, I'll hear what she'll, she'll help me understand this. And I wanted to ask, like, what does this wisdom thing have to do with Jesus, the gospel? What is seeking wisdom or seeking to be wise and not foolish have to do with it? And so she talks to me and she says, you got to read Michael Fox. He's the guy. And so I look it up, Michael Fox. <laughs> Has nothing to do with Proverbs. And then I figured out, oh, there's a different Michael Fox who wrote a commentary on Proverbs. Which I think maybe will help us understand a little bit what we're looking at. When we think of wisdom, what, is it, what does it mean? So Michael Fox says this, wisdom isn't simply knowing what's good to do. Wisdom is a disposition of character. Ooh, it's more than just knowing something. A configuration of knowledge, fears, expectations, and desires that enables one to identify the right path and keep to it. Wisdom means not only knowing, but also desiring to do what's right. Well, it's different now. Now there's more than just knowing something. There's a change in our desire. Actually, our heart, our motive. Well, that's, that's more than I thought I was going to get. A configuration of the soul. Well, that's a, that's a whole different ball game than just, I, gotta, I can know a bunch of stuff. A changing of your soul. It's a, it's a moral character and fostering moral character. It's no overstatement to say is that at all times the greatest goal of education. It's also the greatest challenge for a moral character comes down to desiring the right things 
And how can we teach desire? Good question. How do we change what we desire? Why, why do we change what our motive is? What I like our, our foundational uh, thing that moves us towards things, that causes us to want things? We could just read a lot of Proverbs and say, okay, these seem like good tips on how to do things. There seems to be something else going on, a, a change of who we are. So in Beth's email with these, she actually sent me a, a great comment about Proverbs. I've been wanting to quote Beth forever. Here we go, friends. My first ever quote with Beth. I'm very excited about this. This is so helpful. I think the authors of Proverbs teach desire by convincing readers that our moral character and our futures are at stake when we need what they've written. When we read Proverbs this way, we imagine ourselves becoming people who know, desire, and do what's right and good. You hear that? Let me read it one more time. When we read Proverbs this way, we imagine ourselves becoming people who know, desire, and do what's right and good. And for the authors of Proverbs, this is the greatest desire we could have. Do you that? We become people who do know, and we desire, and we actually do. So there's this changing of, of like our minds and our hearts and what we do, like actually how we walk. And that's the hope there, right? Which actually feels like as we read Scripture, that seems a lot of Scripture, is our, that it would change us as people. So how do we become people who know and desire and do what's right and what's good, what's wise? We've actually seen this already in Ephesians. The conversation we've been having through Ephesians, that letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, actually has told us what does it look like to be changed into a person who desires to do what's right and good. It starts, uh, one of the parts starts in Ephesians 2. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. First, we remember where we were, right? The place where the per people we were, which was us following our own desires, trying to just get wisdom on our own, thinking that maybe wisdom was just what makes me feel the best or look the best or become the most successful which here it reminds us leads to destruction and death. So we needed a change. So what did we do? We pulled up our bootstraps, we learned more, we went to school more. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in, our, in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We become changed people who know and desire and do what is right because God has rescued us and not just rescued us, but he has changed us and given us life from dead hearts, dead knowledge, dead actions. He's given us lively hearts that have lovely desires. From dead hearts that had deathly desires to lively hearts that have lovely desires. We're different people. And then at the end of, uh, of that passage in Ephesians 2, for we are God's handiwork, creating Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that he has changed us, we have become those people and we can do good. We can walk in love and wisdom as children of God. And so what, what does this look like? Well, this, is, this is what our passage today says. It says, walk in, in wisdom, be, be wise, Instead of unwise, don't be foolish. And then Paul gives us an example. I think just an example of something that probably was happening around them. And he says, well, 
So here's, here's how this might look. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He picks something that's happening around him and he says, here's, here's what this looks like, to be wise or unwise. He picks something and is great because I think it's something, right, we throughout all of time seems to be a thing and it's something that's happening in the church there. He says, do not get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. Now, that seems like a strong word. Not a word maybe that you use often. I would guess most of us don't use debauchery much. Maybe like our grandma does. Uh, that seems like a word my grandma had used. <laughs> you kids get into some debauchery. <laughs> the word debauchery just means an extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures. Sometimes it's uh, specifically used towards sexual pleasures. But just like it, if you're going to get drunk on wine, it often leads to extreme indulgence for you. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This like turning everything towards you. It's, it becomes, you're doing this and then everything becomes about you and what you want. The word actually, the root words of it actually means to lead astray. Or it could mean do not get drunk on wine because it makes you move away from away from others, away from yourself, away from wisdom. It leads you to satisfying cravings for yourself and no longer the things you're created to be. He says, but instead of that, instead of being people who move away, who, who turn your indulgences on in on yourself, who just seek pleasures for yourself, escapes for yourself, he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is actually a phrase that we've heard before in Ephesians a few times. If you remember at the end of Ephesians 3, there's a prayer that I love that we've been praying here at Hope since we started. A prayer that, that ends with Paul saying, I want his, my people here, God's people, to be filled with all the fullness of God. He's just saying, hey, if that prayer is true, I want that to happen because when that happens, we become changed people. A couple different things happen. We get filled with the Spirit and we start addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. All of a sudden it changes. Like this, our, our desire and our motivation changes. We become people who, who sing to one another. I love how Dr. Adeyemo says this. He says, uh, but where drunkenness leads to ruckus singing and shouting, being filled with the Holy Spirit leads to praise expressed in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I like, this, I like that Paul uses this because I can, I can picture this. Picture people drinking, clanging glasses together, singing their favorite songs. It's loud. It's, it's ruckus. Maybe a little chaotic. And then there's this other moment of us being filled with the Spirit, enjoying God's Holy Spirit in our lives, praying like the Spirit move in us, the same spirit we hear in Romans 8 that raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit coming over us, filling us, controlling us. And now that instead of just ruckus singing as we drink wine, it now becomes ruckus praise in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs right from our hearts because we've been changed people. Also, as the spirit fills us, we be, keep, be people who give thanks 
always and forever, for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. It, we, we become people who, who not only uh, are moved towards each other, also in the, in the singing psalm, it's not like we just by ourselves go and we're singing. We, we become people who like speak this gospel to each other. The Spirit actually causes us to sing these songs of praise of who, how good Jesus is to one another, with one another. Instead of moving away, we move towards one another and we also move towards our God. We become people instead who are trying to escape, maybe even just sitting in, in the hardness, the brokenness, but we become people who are thankful. We say, wow, our, our eyes are open to the goodness of God around us and all that we've been given. Not only do we have to sing because the Spirit has filled us, we now have to give thanks because we realize how good our God is and all that he's done. And lastly, it says we begin submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of this love and respect we have for Christ and who, what he has done and who he is, it changes us to be people who ultimately would submit or, or willingly put ourselves under the authority of each other. Trusting other people to lead us, to love us, to actually make decisions, trusting to serve other people, which can be really hard. I, it, it's some of the reason I think sometimes we might decide to, to move towards a glass of wine because it's really hard to do that or even have people that maybe we've done that with and they've really hurt us or disappointed us. But that being filled with the Spirit not only causes us to sing songs and be thankful, but also say, I can trust those around me, knowing they have my best in mind. It's okay for me not to be the one in charge. It's okay for me to be the one who serves just as Christ has served us. Now this has this word submit in it, which can, uh, can sometimes be a bad S word, because that's a word that for some of us I know has been really hurtful, has been used as a word to say, just do what I'm telling you to do. Or, or you're not allowed to have your own thoughts or your own feelings, or it's a way to, to hold someone down, to actually serve and care for someone. It's not because we trusted someone, but it's because someone just told us we had to do something. We're gonna actually, this is just an introduction. This, we're not, we're not gonna get into this today, but this is kind of an introduction statement to, the, to a lot of the rest of Ephesians. It's gonna say, what does it look like to be people who can submit to one another, trust one another in a way that we could serve one another in a, in a marriage, in relationships, in parenting relationships, in work relationships, in, in situations God placed us in, what does it look like to be ones that reflect Christ because he ultimately is the one who submitted the greatest. I, I'm excited to be able to get into that and really think, what does the gospel have to say about that? So I know there's been lots of um, different experiences for all of us in that. But here we're hearing that the gospel fills us and we sing and we're grateful and we actually move towards each other and not just to hang out, but willing to serve one another. We hear this all over the place. We hear this in Philippians 2, do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is because we've been changed by the gospel. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the one who moved towards enemies and was willing to die for them. Or in Galatians, we hear this. This sort of summarizes our whole passage. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. It gets me back to why this would happen. 
I think that might help us flesh this out a little bit more. Why would I be a person who would go to wine and drink enough that I would become drunk? That I would partake in debauchery? So I asked some friends who have experienced this and, and just prayed and considered my own heart. Why would I move towards anything like that? Maybe something that would, would uh, a substance or maybe just a th- something, right? Other than Jesus that would do that. One of them actually, I, I asked, I said, what do you think led you to some of this behavior? And they said, I often feel like I'm stuck in the sins of my family. Maybe, I don't know if you ever felt that. They said, I was doing the same thing that my dad did to deal with the brokenness around him. Some have said, I, I, I would do this just for boldness. If we're talking about drinking, it would be something that would lower my inhibitions. It caused me to be the person who maybe could have fun now, could be bold. I wouldn't worry about what people think, so I could say those things I want to say, or maybe people would even like me more. I could be the fun person. For some, they just said it's escape. It's a way to move away from, right? This root word of debauchery is just a way to move away from the things over there, the things from my whole day. I just need to kind of get away and maybe not remember those for a little bit. I don't want to think about bad stuff. That was one of the, some, uh, a quote someone gave me. I just don't want to think about bad stuff. And, and this, or lots of things, helped me to not have to think about bad stuff. This is what's incredible about the gospel. This is what the good news of being filled with the Spirit, that understanding and knowing it's true what happens in Ephesians 2, that you were dead and you were made alive. It's true. And so Jesus, his Spirit, changes us. He fills us. He satisfies our soul and our desires and our heart like nothing else can. And so Christ gives us this new boldness. He gives us a family to be around. He pulls us with people who love us and care us, care for us, not because we're outgoing or because we say funny things or even that we're even nice people. He gives us an escape in the sense that he, he brings us into full satisfaction in our lives and our souls and the desires of our hearts. That we don't have to run from things because we know we have a God who has those things under control. We know we have a God who's okay to say, this stuff is bad. And he says, yeah, it is. I'm, that's why I've come, to make things right. And we say, I feel like I'm stuck in the sins of my family. We have a God who says, I, I'm going to give you a new family. And they're going to be kind of messed up and broken, but I'm going to work in them, and one day I will make all these things Right, and God gives us a future so we know right now this isn't it. We know that there is a great future where all things are made right. This could be anything. It could be harsh talk, unkind words, anger, selfishness, laziness, maybe a love for money or for food, or lust takes control, all those, right, lead us away. And the gospel, this being filled with the Spirit instead of those things, gives us great wisdom. It changes what we know and who we are and what we desire and what we do. So it's not about doing foolish things. It's about knowing the person who is wisdom. And he makes us new people. This is exactly what it tells us in 1 Corinthians. This is not 1 Corinthians 26 through 30. 
Those are the verses that'd be a lot of reading. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Do you hear what he's saying? He, he didn't come to choose you because you were wise or strong. I, I love it in the middle here. It says, and the things that are not. He chose the things that are not and made them something. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Do you hear this, friends? So I want to seek wisdom. Wisdom is a person. His name is Jesus, and he makes us righteous and holy and redeemed. He takes us who are foolish, and because of him makes us people who can be wise, and us who are weak, because of Jesus, strong, and us who are lowly, and makes us great, only because of what he's done. We can turn to him, and he makes us those things that I love this passage in Proverbs. It actually encourages me because I feel a lot like this. In Proverbs 30, it says, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained the, to the knowledge of the Holy One. I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and what do I turn to? I turn to I, okay, I got to figure it out. If I'm reading Proverbs and, this, and I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, oh, I got to go back and read more of these to figure this out so that I can be wise. But actually, Proverbs says this, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who hands, whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. We know, right? You feel it like well up even as you're reading it. Who, who can control the wind? Who, who can come down from heaven? Who, who can wrap the waters in a cloak? Who can control nature and all around us? Who has established the ends of the earth? What's his name? What's his name? This person's crying, oh, what's his name? And we know, it's Jesus. We know. We know wisdom. And it changes us to those who sing and are grateful, who serve one another. It's Jesus. It's really good news. It's not us figuring out how to be the wisest, watching the right YouTube video. It's us moving again always towards the one and his spirit who will change us. I wanted to highlight today, there's, um, I, I was reading um, just uh, in the New Testament and I was struck um, every time I, I come across someone named Mary, I have to look up which Mary it is. I don't know if any of you ever had this. When I was a kid, I just thought they're all one Mary. And I was like, gosh, this Mary had a lot of stuff going on. And I learned, oh, there's different Marys. I want to just share with you today. I, I think it'd be a, it's a great day to share. There's three Marys. Here's at least three today that I think show this, what this looks like to, to move towards God and be filled with his spirit and to be people who become sing his songs and are grateful and 
know that Jesus is, is wisdom. Not, not because they did something, but because they moved towards him. I so just want to take a second to look at these women and celebrate them as we end our time. I want to have our, our band come up as I, I share these so we can have some time singing hymns together. First one is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene says in Luke 2, the 12 are with them and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, who had been cured of seven demons. This is a woman who was possessed by seven, not one, not two, seven demons, was just overrun by evil. And Jesus comes here and heals her, changes her. And her response is to worship Jesus. Her response is Mary is the one who was with him when he was crucified, when he was in the tomb. She's the first one that Jesus encounters when he rises from the dead on Easter morning. She gets to be at the first Easter service. She's with him even through that suffering, that crucifixion. She follows Jesus faithfully with boldness. She knows that's where life comes from. That's where wisdom comes from. The second is Mary of Bethany. This is Mary whose sister was Martha, whose brother was Lazarus. Remember this story? She would sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. The story of Martha's doing things and, and she's sitting with Jesus, just, just wants to hear from him, just wants to be near him, just wants to serve him. What an example. She's the one who watches her brother raised from the dead, that Jesus calls her brother out of the tomb. And then right after that, she anoints him. She comes to Jesus and anoints him with oils, really just submits herself to Jesus. Right in front of religious leaders, they actually call her a sinner. What sinner is doing this as she worships King Jesus? And lastly, Mary, the mother of Jesus, I'm always struck by the, the birth story of Jesus and the story right before that when, when an angel comes to Jesus and says, you're going to have a child that's going to save the world. You remember what Mary does? She, she bursts into song. She's like moved to, to, to poetry, to sing. She has an encounter with Jesus in that moment and he's like, in her womb. What an incredible moment. The Spirit of God is on her and she moves to song. Obviously, as her becomes his mother, and we know as he dies on the cross, he says, you're now family. And actually, he tells the disciples, this is your mother. And this, these are your sons. He reminds them, you're now family because of me. It's incredible. These people move towards Jesus, are filled with spirit, and changes who they are. I think that's our hope, right? That we'd be those people. We're going to get an opportunity here to do this now. We're going to get an opportunity to say, God, we want your spirit to move in us. We want our desires to be your desires. We're going to sing psalms and hymns together right now. We're also going to get an opportunity to take communion that's outside the doors here. If you want to go out and just remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, you get to kind of be in that like Mary was. We also have an opportunity for people who will be in the back of the room if you just want prayer. If you just want someone to sit with you and the Spirit and pray over you, with you, they love doing that. So please take that opportunity. A couple of things to consider as we just reflect on the gospel here. Do you know Jesus is our wisdom, our redemption, and our hope? 
If you don't know that, today's a good day to say yes to him, to say, I'm going to stop just seeking wisdom and knowing the most, but just saying, oh, I, it's a person I need to come to and kneel before. Today's a great day to do that. Where do you usually look to be filled with wisdom? Maybe consider that. What does your week look like? Who in your life points you to true wisdom or even just prays for you? The Spirit would fill you. Do you have those people? What would overflowing songs of praise look like this week? What would it look like this week if we became people who went out to our workplaces and our families, their friends, maybe a stranger even, and overflowed in praise? The Spirit moved in us, and to one another we sang songs of praise. But not what I actually just like sing to a cashier at Target. But what would it look like in your words and your actions? Let me pray for us, and we're going to sing together. Lord, thank you for your goodness towards us, that you've rescued us from death, that you took us as people deserving destruction and made us people who have life and a future and a hope. I pray, Lord, that we'd turn to you, that we would be people who are changed because of you, that you would change not just what we know about you, but our desires, that they would be your desires, that many people would be cared for and loved and find joy, your joy, because of us, you using us as lights around us. Thank you, Lord. I pray now as we sing these songs to you that you would warm our hearts and that your spirit would fill us to all the fullness of God. Amen.